Well, it's never this quiet. Good evening. evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. We are being transformed into Christ-likeness. Even in the middle of all the homework, we are being transformed into Christ-likeness. Even with papers that are due in two weeks, we are being transformed into Christ-likeness. Absolutely. He never quits working on us if we allow him to work, does he? We have a special guest with us this evening. Uh, his name is Dr. Jim Deal. He is a General Superintendent Emeritus of the Church of the Nazarene. Would you welcome him, please? Uh, uh, for those of you who aren't members of the Church of the Nazarene, there are six General Superintendents who give guidance and leadership to the Church of the Nazarene as a denomination around the world. Uh, Dr. Deal uh, retired this past summer after four terms, after 16 years, correct? Uh, serving, serving globally, and he's made room in his day to, uh, uh, to come and minister to us. A song I want to start with is an old song. It may be older, it's not older than everyone in the room. Well, maybe. But it's also a possibility that not everybody knows it. So I want to sing through and just join in with me if you know you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think or imagine or even guess. You are able. The most amazing of all of your creations and of all of your miracles and all of your doings is the change that you're making in us. We give you praise. We give you praise. We anticipate that you will continue to speak to us as you have been, as we hear your word through your servant. Yes, Lord. For our sakes, but also for the sake of those whose lives we touch, they too need to know that you are able, more than able, to make them and us what you have in mind for us. We pray make it so. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming here to uh, church, to chapel tonight. I was going to say even when you didn't have to, but (laughs) maybe you do have to. I'm not sure what the rules are here, but uh, thanks for coming. And uh, thanks, Dr. Allen, for the invitation to come as well as Dr. Graves and and all of you here. So uh, let's go real quickly, if you'll jump on a plane with me and go about uh, halfway around the world to a town you probably have not heard of, you've heard of the country, Antalya, Turkey. Uh, Turkey is 98% Muslim, they tell us. And why two years ago that we had a Nazarene convention in Antalya, Turkey is too complicated to talk about right now, but that's where they chose to meet in a certain hotel that would be totally self-contained, where we would, uh, where, where our sleeping rooms would be, uh, the meals would be there, uh, the meetings would be there. We didn't have to get out and walk the streets, not even a foot. And uh, two weeks before, I left to go to Antalya to be part of this. We received the email that everybody received. There were over 500 there when finally we arrived. Don't call the hotel for anything. 
don't call them about any reservation problem, not a thing. You are not registered at the hotel as a name. You're registered as a number. You don't understand where we're going. Uh, it's not quite normal. So when you come in, don't go to the desk where you normally would register. You go to another place, you'll see a, a sign that we would be, uh, that you would recognize and uh, just, uh, just be alert. Well, that kind of uh, helped me to think that <laughs> I wasn't going to Colorado Springs for this uh, event anyway, uh, which is the home of evangelical Christianity, it seems like, in America with all of the ministries here in the Springs. So I uh, uh, finally arrived, uh, did, did all of that. First meeting, the uh, brother who was in charge got up and said, this is a paperless convention. We will not give you one handout about one thing. If you take any notes, you have to write them down. You have to provide your own paper. You have to take it with you. We cannot leave any tracks here. You don't understand exactly where we are, but we are not in friendly territory. And uh, that's more true than I have time to tell you tonight. There's a whole lot wrapped around that. In fact, uh, there were some people detained after it was over with uh, extreme questioning by the authorities and, and so on. They were there from the Middle East. Uh, they were there from some from uh, the areas of India and around. From the former Soviet Union, the CIS. Some from up and down in the European area uh, because we had a few other of these and other places to be a little closer to them and such as it was. What a time. God came on that place in a way that um, I won't forget. And one of the most joyous parts of the convention was the different groups from the different areas did the music from day to day or night to night. And uh, boy, when that bunch from the Middle East got up to sing, uh, that would be everywhere from Egypt to uh, Syria to Jordan to Lebanon to Israel to Baghdad, Iraq, and a couple of other places. God dumped all of heaven on that place. And I don't know if you know much about the uh, Arab uh, brothers and sisters. They cannot sing sitting down, and they can't even sing standing in one place. It, it was about as much a holy, a holy joyous event as, as I've seen in a long, long time. And I was so blessed that I just laughed and cried, clapped and, and said, this is going to be like heaven. Uh, I didn't understand all of the languages, but um, it's kind of the, the United Nations of the Church of the Nazarene in that part of the world. And so it was. After it was all over and goodbyes were said, I would like to mention, however, before I jump on, that on Sunday morning, ordination service, I think we had 22 to ordain from places too, too dangerous for a general superintendent to go, so they brought them there. I was very, very privileged to ordain the first Nazarene pastor from Baghdad, Iraq. And uh, there he is. And his wife and boy, with their names here, with the Pray For Us, Church of the Nazarene, Baghdad. We now have four Nazarene churches in Baghdad, I, or, or Iraq, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe three there, one out in the country. But uh, what a blessing, and uh, all of the rest. 
Now, they had told us a couple of months before, so to make my story kind of go along, they didn't just spring this on us at the end. We had been warned in order to have proper flight arrangements. But after it was over, they said, we, we don't have any money to pay you. The, about five of us, I think, were speakers there. We have no money for honorariums. We have no money for travel for you. We knew that. We paid our, our way, or somebody paid our way to, to get there, and no honorariums, which is no big deal anyway. But they said, we, have, uh, we, we do want to do something for you and your spouses who have uh, spoken to us this week. If you want to stay for three more days, we'll, we'll take you on a tour of the seven churches of Revelation. Well, I, uh, I would not turn that one down. <laughs> And did you know that all seven churches of Revelation are in the country of Turkey? And there they are. And the, the ruins or the remains are still there. So we got onto a van. I think there were 13 of us, I believe, uh, because some had their spouses, some not. But anyway, onto a van, three days. You remember, it's a Muslim country. We had a Muslim driver, a Muslim guide, and it was the last week of Ramadan. That's a, a pretty high and holy time for them. The driver was totally disengaged from us. He was in a different world and would barely grunt when we got on the van. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, there was no conversation. The guide, for some reason or another, took a liking to these Christians. And... Of course, he was with us when we were chatting and laughing and carrying on from place to place. And he was listening to all of this. And then the interaction and so on. He decided to start eating with us. The driver never did, ever. The guide did. We would pray for the meal. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. That's fine. The Muslim brother can listen to that. Uh, whatever. And the first day, second day... <clears throat> I, uh, I, I want you to know I don't say this for any kind of um, honor for me because I am built just the opposite of that. But you won't understand the story unless I tell you what he said. The second day we pulled up to the site, whichever one it was, whichever city, we were getting off of the van and he grabbed me by my sleeve and pulled me to the back of the van and said to me, I want a face like yours. <laughs> uh, the first time I've ever heard that one in my life. <laughs> uh, never even, anyway, I looked at him and I do know his name. Uh, it would not be wise for me to mention his name in some way, but there he is. And uh, because if, I, if, if it got back there, I'm sure he'd lose his job, if not more. But I looked at him and said, what do you mean? You want a face like mine? This tall, thin, uh, Turkish Muslim looked at me and said, you have peace and joy on your face and I want that now isn't that something and I looked at him and said I didn't put it there Jesus did and where I got it 
from Jesus, you can get it too. Amen. And he looked at me and kind of nodded and we went on our way. I've learned along the line in life, many witness, witnessing opportunities are about two minutes at a time. It's about a minute here, two minutes there, three minutes there, a minute there. And uh, you either make the moment or you miss the moment. And that was the moment just for that and on we went. That was the second day. Third day, <clears throat> last day, in the morning, we were having, we were having breakfast, hotel. He said, uh, I've been talking to my wife. I've been talking about you Christians. And um, she's going to go buy a gift today because it's, it's, it's proper in our culture, Muslim culture, to buy a gift for someone in need. She's a school teacher. She's going to go buy shoes for a needy person in her class. And she said to me, would you have those Christians pray a blessing on me today? And our leader, Dr. Gustavo Crocker, looked over at me and said, Brother Deal, just stand up and pray. I had to pray a blessing on a lady I've never met, couldn't even pronounce her name. It was that long. But anyway, I did my best. Lord God, bless her, whatever I said. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Went on our way to the last church or two. That night, last night, having a meal, he was a bit late, came in, we were already eating. This, this old boy, he wasn't old, he's younger than me, but this old boy was grinning from ear to ear. And uh, he said, now, now he said, before I sit down and join you, I've got to tell you what happened today. Just talked to my wife on the cell phone. And he said, she went to the shoe store and said, I'm buying a pair of shoes for someone in my class. And uh, um, you don't have to explain everything because they all know what the deal is. And, and she said, I don't know the size, and so if it's the wrong size, can that person bring them back? And of course, yes. The owner said, would it be okay if I would give you another pair of shoes and you would take those to somebody else who is in need in your class? And she evidently said, sure, or yes, or whatever she said. And then he said, as he stood there looking at we 13 or 15, 13, I guess, Nazarene leaders at this place in Turkey where we were. He said that owner went to the back of the shoe store and brought out 15 pairs of new shoes and dumped them on my wife and said, take all of these and give them to those in need. And he stood there and said, you prayed a blessing on my wife this morning and God just about killed her with a bunch of new shoes. <laughs> and I could hardly believe what I was hearing. And I looked up at this guy. He was just, I can't explain the smile on his face. <laughs> and I said to myself, he thinks Jesus did this. And so do I. And so do I. He said to me, and, I, and you know, I think you're with me. I'm not saying any of this to give any kind of honor to this old boy. But he, a Muslim from Turkey, said to me, he'd only known me 24 hours, you have peace and joy on your face. I want that. Well, on the way home, 
the long flight, Antalya to Denver, that's where I live, by way of Germany and by way of Chicago. I was so weary in my brain after all of that week that I pulled the testament out of my little briefcase and I said, Lord, I'm really a little too tired to get in and try to dig out a sermon up here somewhere over the frozen land of Greenland. But um, I, had a, I had a question. I wonder what Jesus said after the resurrection. I, I, I have never preached along that line. Most of us preach on everything Jesus said from, from early days, or basically the three years of public ministry. And we all preach that. Those are basically the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What did Jesus say after the resurrection when he was the resurrected, almighty, victorious Jesus? I wonder what he said. I've read it, but I just hadn't been thinking in that manner. So I picked out my testament, and I, I went to Matthew and read those last, the last chapter or two, and to Mark, and to Luke, and to John. And I will only take the time to go to John. If you get interested in this, go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'm just talking about the last chapter or two. I think it's kind of an interesting little study there. You don't have to read a lot because you don't have any studying to do anyway. Just toss a little extra in, you know, on everything else you're doing. But uh, here it is, John chapter 20, and it's in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, now this is after the resurrection, I just, we've got to, we all have to be together on this now. He had already gone through the cross, the death, the grave, the resurrection, the whole thing. The same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. After the resurrection, they were still scared to death. I think I would be too. Jesus came and stood in the midst. Don't believe he opened the door. He just, boom, he was in the room. And said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> they were whooping it up. Glory, hallelujah, whatever in the world they said. I don't believe they were just glad he was there. <laughs> so Jesus said to them again, second time, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Thomas called the twin, uh, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. <laughs> There's a great disciple, praise God. <clears throat> That's where he got his name, his tag, Doubting Thomas. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. Now we've jumped a week and a day. They were again in a room, and I'm sure the door was locked. And Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Peace to you. 
And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. The NIV says, stop doubting and believe. Brother, that ought to preach. <laughs> that would preach anywhere. Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. You've already got the message, uh, I think, I'm, I'm sure. Peace to you. Peace to you. And eight days later, peace to you. And as I read that on that, on that long flight, <clears throat> My mind said, my mind questioned, was that just a greeting like, hey, how you doing? Or was that a huge truth? And I believe it was a huge truth. It wasn't just, how y'all doing? No, 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 no. There's something big here. Peace to you. Peace to you. Peace to you. So my brain said, wonder what the angels sang when Jesus was born. Now, I think I knew the answer, but I went to Luke chapter 2 and recounted when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and the shepherds were out on the fields and the angel came and then the angels joined them and uh, uh, this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men and I said mm hmm the very words that Jesus spoke after the resurrection every time he seemed to greet anybody by the way on the road to Emmaus that's a good one there when after Jesus disappeared uh, then he reappeared when they were talking it, it's there too so you be sure to wrap that one and that one's in Luke but the very thing that Jesus said peace to you the angel sang when he was born. I don't think that's coincidence. There's something going on here. And then, just a little bit later, right there, Jesus' birth, Simeon, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's, the Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. There it is again. Everything about Jesus, peace. The angels, Simeon, after the resurrection. Here's my message to you tonight, scriptural message for sure. I have come to believe in my life and the journey that I've been on, I have come to believe God's greatest gift to us is his peace. 
And if you've ever heard me preach, you've heard something about the joy of the Lord because I believe that. And I, I preach that yet. I believe in the love. <laughs> God knows we even need more of God's love poured into our hearts so we can give it to others. And I believe in the power. I sure preach a lot on that. And all of the rest. But I've come to believe the greatest gift of God is his peace to his people. I don't think this was just coincidence. Peace to you. Peace to you. I think he was underlining the greatest thing that's going to happen to his followers, Christians. Well, let me just quickly ask you tonight, when you were born again, when you repented of your sins, and you were genuinely converted, saved, born again, transformed, what was the main feeling that you had, the main emotion that you had? I would think the most of us would be, it, thank God my sins are gone. I finally have peace. When I was saved, high school junior, Des Moines, Iowa, tell you the whole story some other day, I was scared to death because of preaching that I had been hearing of, of late about the second coming of Jesus. And something had happened, is way too complicated to tell now, but I was awakened in the night and I thought that the Lord had come. And there are reasons for me to, to have believed that or to have felt that. <laughs> I got out of that lower bunk because we had bunk beds. I had my younger brother in the upper bunk. I got up to see if Rich was there. He said, yeah, he's here. Well, he's not living any better than I am. That doesn't help me any. <laughs> and I walked down that hallway, down those stairs, into the parents, my parents' bedroom. If there are any Christians in the world in my life, it was my dad and mom. And I opened up the door. I said, man, alive, if they're not here, I'm a dead dog. <laughs> And I walked in and there they were sound asleep. And I said, what do I do now? And mom woke up and said, Jim, what's the matter with you? <laughs> I said, mom, I thought the Lord had come. She said, well, it's time for you to pray. I said, I'm ready. And I hit the side of the bed. And she elbowed dad and said, wake up. Jim wants to pray. <laughs> dad got out of one side, mom on the other. And this old boy found Jesus about 2 o'clock in the morning. Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget when I went back up to bed. I was a Christian. I, I said it out loud. Okay, Jesus, come ahead. It's okay now. <laughs> I was at peace. Yes. Amen. Amen. When you later on found out that there's more to it than forgiveness, when you found out that God said to you in one manner or another, you have given me your sins now give me yourself. Amen. If you walk with Jesus a while, you'll find, you'll find out. There's more to it than forgiving, forgiving our sins. He wants ourself totally. When you finally gave him yourself and nailed or let God nail selfish self to the cross, and you literally were set free from self-will, and now Jesus is Lord. Amen. How did you respond? Well, there may have been joy, there may have been a hallelujah, but for me, 
this tug of war that I had been in because I was, well, I was a Christian, had been for six or eight months. And I was going to heaven and I'd settle that by mom and dad's bedside. <laughs> now I'm one month uh, away from uh, my senior year in high school. I sincerely, urgently wanted to be a sports writer, a sports announcer. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> the big high-powered radio station in Des Moines is WHO. WHO, the 50,000-watt voice of the Middle West, the blowtorch of the Middle West, WHO Des Moines. <laughs> I had that little baby down. Jim Zobel was the sports anchor. Dr. Matson, you've heard him. He grew up in northern Iowa. I grew up in central Iowa. <laughs> I told my buddies, I'm going to take Jim Zobel's place someday. I'll be the sports anchor of WHO Radio. And I'm not making this up. <laughs> I was the sports editor of the high school paper, North High Oracle. I took the pictures, I wrote the articles, took all the journalism they had, and all the rest of the stuff. I really wanted to be a sports writer or announcer. <laughs> Every time I'd go to church, I want you to be a preacher. That wasn't the preacher. It was the Spirit speaking to me. He was preaching something else. I want you to be a preacher. I said, Lord, <laughs> I don't want to be a preacher. I want to be a sports writer, sports announcer. I'd, go. I'd shake it off. The next time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, any other time, revival night, preachers preaching. I want you to be a preacher. Lord, I thought we had that cleared up. I'm not <laughs> wanting to be a preacher. I want to be a sports writer, sports writer. <laughs> One time it was pretty intense. And I was listening, trying to listen to the preacher, and I felt that thing again, this voice. And, and I just said, Lord, if, I'm, if I say yes to that, you'll put me in the last church just before you fall off the edge of the state. And I'll die like a yellow dog under the front porch. <laughs> and you say, well, where'd you get that? Well, I grew up in camp meeting country in Iowa. I heard some old evangelist, boy, you got to shake your head on it. You got to die like a yellow dog on the front porch. I don't know to this day what a yellow dog's got to do with it. And I don't know what getting under the front porch has got to do with it. But I knew if I was going to go all out for God, I had to die like a yellow dog under the front porch. <laughs> Boy, we had some good preachers back there. <laughs> I think they kind of got a little away from the Bible. But <laughs> I can't remember his scripture about that. But anyway, I'll never forget the old boy shaking his head. I shouldn't do this three times, but he got to die like a yellow dog under the front porch. The old boy, he left an impression on me, didn't he? <laughs> Finally, on if three weeks before my senior year, his August camp meeting, came in late Wednesday night because I worked, got there late. Preacher was preaching. I was sitting in the back because I had gotten halfway through the preacher's message. And I heard the Spirit say in my head, these words, make up your mind. My way or your way? I said, Lord, I'm tired of the tug of war. I want to go to heaven, but I want to do what I want to do. If the old boy will ever quit preaching, I'm ready to go pray. And he finally did, gave an invitation. I didn't have to wait for three verses of song down the aisle over here. And I had to die out to one thing, what I wanted to do in life. 
And I said, Lord, if you want me to be a preacher, <laughs> I'll be a preacher. I'll die like a dog, but anyway. <laughs> and that Wednesday night, camp meeting, Iowa, <laughs> the Holy Spirit came in his sanctifying power and took my sacrifice of whoever I am and cleanse filled me, thanks be unto God. And I got up and shook hands with the preachers that had come to pray with me or hugged me or whatever and sat on the front seat. I have no recollection. I don't have any recollection of everybody leaving the tabernacle. It was 10 o'clock when a preacher came back to shut the doors of the tabernacle down for the we had open open sides and he looked at me and he said Jim are you staying all night I said oh <laughs> I didn't realize everybody was gone and I got up and left I had never experienced such peace in my life the tug of war was over and I was all God's Peace. Do you believe what I'm saying? Amen. When we're forgiven, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when the person or persons who have hurt you the most and they walked out on you in a divorce or worse, or your mom and dad divorced and left you hanging in the middle, or somebody did whatever they did to you and you just seethed with anger and bitterness and wasn't right. What they did to me, they did me wrong, I'm telling you. I am sure you're right. But if you don't want to end up being a bitter old man or a bitter old woman, you've got to give those people to God. You've got to finally give them to God. And I have had to do the same thing. When you finally say, Lord, it wasn't right, but I give it up and I give them to you, Jesus. <laughs> you get to go home with peace. Amen. And maybe the worst for me has been when you suffered the greatest loss of your life. For me, that happened in Colorado Springs, Colorado, right here last summer. Our young son, Dave, business administrator at First Church here. Dave died at the hospital down here with melanoma cancer. And I won't get into much of that because it's, um, this is a little bit difficult. But in that hospital room, when we had all gathered in and finally I was there for the last 48 hours and the others were, had come and Lori, his wife, his mom and dad had also come and a sister and brother. And Dave breathed his last. I just want to be real honest with you now tonight. I didn't feel any joy. I was deeply wounded. I don't want to get into this. I've already said that. But I sat on the edge of his bed and sobbed like a baby three times during those last 24 hours saying, I can't stand to see my boy die. But when he finally did, I... Well, just before he did, I remembered I had given Dave, Dorothy and I, my wife and I, had given Dave to the district superintendent who prayed the prayer, and we dedicated him to Jesus when he was a baby. And the Lord just seemed to say, 
would you give him back? Well, the first dedication was fun. We took pictures of that. But to take our boy, Dave, and lay him on the altar in a hospital room and say, he's yours, Lord. And if you don't heal him, I'm going to serve you anyway. And I'm going to keep preaching anyway. And I'm going to keep praying for other people to be healed anyway. I'm not telling you that was very easy. Because there were some sincere tears. But when I finally gave Dave back to Jesus, peace came to my soul. And there was so much peace that finally came into the room after Dave died that we started to sing. And then we sang a little more. And then we cried, and then we hugged, and then we sang. And he died at 9.20 Monday morning. And about 10 o'clock, I thought I ought to call the funeral director. And I said, I guess I better call the funeral director now. And our boy Don, who's the minister of the family, among our four kids, said, no, Dad, we're not done having church yet. Don't call him yet. And he started to sing. And we sang, and we cried, and we talked to Dave, who is now gone, but told the Lord to go tell him what we were saying. And I don't want you to think we're strange people, but we were there until noon. And I finally called the funeral director at noon. Dr. Graves, I have never felt so much Jesus in a room in my life as when Dave died. And now I'm saying, what was it? Why couldn't we go on? In our darkest hour, we had a visitor, and his name was Jesus. And he said, peace to you. Peace to you. Do you believe it? Amen. If it wasn't the truth, I would be bitter tonight, and I would be fighting anger, and I would be fighting all the rest, and I wouldn't be preaching to you. But God's peace is greater. Amen. 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 It isn't just a greeting. It's the greatest gift that God has for us. Amen. Hey, let's just stand, would you? Everybody, just stand and... Pray with me as I close here tonight. Lord Jesus, Nazarene Bible College, November 2009, here we are. Thank God for your peace. But Lord, I know we live in one more troubled world. And Lord, I also know that Satan is out to steal our peace and our joy. And I don't know, everybody looks mighty nice here tonight, and it seems like a joyous crowd, but Lord, I have a feeling here tonight that there are some who are saying, I need to give something to God because it's robbing me of my peace or my joy. While we just wait a moment, and Dr. Allen, you might be ready to sing just whatever you have. Would the Lord be whispering to you tonight?
would you want to come and just kneel and say, Lord, I got to put some stuff on this altar. The altar represents Jesus. I, I want to go home. I want to go home in peace. And I believe what the preachers preach, but I'm really struggling with it, Lord. Would you just come? If it's, the, if it's some people that have wounded you, just give them to Jesus. Give them to Jesus. If it's yourself that you've never surrendered, just lay it on the altar and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm yours. I'm going to quit arguing with you, Lord. I'm yours. That's right, Jesus. Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. If it's maybe something you might be praying about, a spouse or a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad, we give them to you, Jesus. We give them to you, Jesus. Oh, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Oh, Dr. Graves, would you come and guide us here and I'll let you turn my mic off now. Thank you. Don't, don't, don't finish up until you're done, though. We're not right. trying to hurry you. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm just thinking here tonight that you can go anywhere and get an education. You can't go just anywhere and get this. you numerous times this semester how rich the chapel services have been. God has sent his servants to us with the message that we needed at the right time for us. And this day has been so rich. God moved upon us this morning and now tonight I feel like I've been in church what about you <laughs> well, can we sing that a song again doctor deal you know he retired in July but he's been out every week since retirement doing what he's doing tonight you'll drive home to Denver tonight get on a plane and go to Kankakee Hill in Bourbon A Illinois tomorrow 
and uh, be speaking at Olivet's homecoming chapel on Friday. And uh, thank you, Doctor. Thank you for being you and for sharing um, out of the wealth of your experience. We've all been enriched tonight. We love you. And uh, aren't you thankful he came and shared tonight? We'd like to thank you. I'm so, so glad I've learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that hell on with me will be with me to the end, Jesus, Jesus. trust you more. We love you tonight. Thank you for your peace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you.